How many of you, when you see things like that, it just creates something inside of you? It's like, oh, I've been in something like that before. This doesn't feel good. <laughs> I think we've all been there when it comes to our spouses and when it comes to the whole idea of marriage. A girl once said to her fiance, when we're married, I want us to share our troubles and worries. Her fiance replied, but we don't have any troubles and worries. She then said, I know, but we're not married yet. And I think many of us would agree that the whole idea of marriage is very difficult. We are in the middle of a series called The Family Wish List, and uh, today we're going to be looking at what I wish my husband knew. Uh, Next week, for for you husbands, uh, we're going to flip it around, and it's going to be what I wish my wife knew. Now, some of you may be sitting here today, and you're sitting there thinking, you know, what, how does this sermon relate to me? I'm not in a marriage right now. I, I'm, not, I'm far from that. I, I, I was married at one time. I was married for 60 years, 50 years, or whatever it may mean. Now, let me just say this. I had a lady come to me. She was one of the charter members. She passed some years ago. And I did a whole series, a whole month on marriage. And she came up to me after the second week, and she said, you know something? There's not a whole lot of, of what you're saying in here for me. I, I probably just need to take the next couple of weeks off, right? And I said, no. I said, far from it. I said, what you need to do is you need to listen to what, I'm, what God's Word has to say about marriage. You may be past marriage. You may not even have an idea of getting married again. But now you're better equipped to pray for your children, to pray for your grandchildren, And you see, so many times when we hear a message like this, some of you have already checked out. You saw the video, and it's like, oh, this is one of them things on marriage. No. Think about what's being said. Think about what God's Word has to say. Sometimes, it's interesting, sometimes someone will email me and say, hey, that sermon you preached, boy, my, my daughter and her husband, they really need this. How can I get this to them? And I'll tell them to go on, online. There's all of us right there to outline and everything. Sometimes people will come and say, hey, I want to get an outline of what was preached last Sunday. I want to give this to my in-laws. <laughs> and you see, there's so many ways that we can take a sermon like this. It may not be directed at you personally, but there's so many ways that you can do it where you can pray better for your, your, your children, for your grandchildren. Share the information. So now that I've got everybody's attention, If you're here with your spouse this morning, okay, husbands, I want you to ask your wife right now, what do you want from me? Okay? So husbands, real quick, just if you're here with your spouse, what do you, you can even put in, what in the world do you want from me? You can put it however you want to. But this interesting, this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you something. Y'all having a good time with this, aren't you? (laughs) Ladies, you're not supposed to answer yet, Okay. All right, I'll give you what to answer, okay? All right, here's the introduction. When it comes to understanding and meeting the needs of your wife, you as a husband cannot approach it from your perspective. You cannot pretend to to have the same mind that she has about things. How many of you, it only took about five years of marriage to figure that out? You're not gonna come at things the same way. Sometimes it's completely different. Someone has said that women are complex, and men are simple. Now, you can be offended by that on all kinds of fronts, 
But it's so true. When you think about men and the way they live, I mean, let's face it. They say in a man in his, um, in his cabinet there in the bathroom, he has most of the time, on average, six items to get him ready. It's estimated that women have anywhere from 80 to 100 items to get herself ready there in the bathroom. And so when you look at this whole idea, men, when you really think about it, we really are pretty simplistic. And women, whether you want to say it or not, you're pretty complicated. And that's not to say that these are bad things either way. It's just to say that we are so different. That's why 1 Peter chapter 3 reads this way. Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. You know what this really says as a paraphrase? Attempt to understand your wife. Because you're never going to fully get it. But you need to be on the journey of attempting to understand your wife. Now, this sermon, listen, is not going to be an exact science. Matter of fact, here's the disclaimer. Some women may say, what you're discussing is not really how I feel. But I'm going to tell you that most of you women are going to sit in here today and say, that's exactly how I feel. You'll be amazed how close it will be. And it's amazing what God's word has to say about the marriage, about especially where women are coming from and men are coming from. So, men, this sermon can really help you. It really can. If you'll get this, you will have information, and if you attempt to implement it, it will go a long ways in your marriage. Now, you ladies, let me tell you one thing real quick before I start addressing the men. Don't, when you're, if your husband decides he wants to implement what I'm trying to show him this morning, I don't want you to sit there and say, the only reason you're doing this is because the preacher said so. No. Any attempt a man makes is a big deal. And don't worry about where it comes from. Just accept it. Because listen, if a man even makes an attempt, that's a big deal for a man. And you better pat him on the head. You better give him a big hug. You better give him a kiss. You better, you better foster that change. Because a man, you know how men are. They'll just pull back and say, well, if you ain't going to get that, I guess there's nothing else I have to offer. You, you got to understand when a man begins to move in that direction, you need to encourage it. So here we are. I wish my husband knew that I need him, look on your outline, to be a spiritual leader. To me, I think a lot of women would probably not have this at the top of their list unless they understood what it meant to have a spiritual leader. And once you describe what a spiritual leader looks like, I think many women would say, yeah, that is my top one. And I think it is so true. So husbands, our wives need us to be grounded spiritually. If we're going to approach our marriage being a spiritual leader, we need to be grounded spiritually. And there's no better place in Scripture that talks about being grounded in Scripture than Psalm chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It, said, blessed, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It speaks of God's word. His delight's in God's word. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He's not just satisfied to have a quick little devotional and move on with his day. He's someone who wants to meditate. He knows that life 
the way life needs to be lived, the way his reactions, the way he needs to be for his family, all that is written right there in God's word. And that he delights in those things. He meditates on those things. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth in its season, brings its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. You ever met that husband that never seems to be grounded? He's just kind of floating with the culture, or he's floating with whatever his desires and appetites carry him to? No, that's not a description of what we're talking about here. We're talking about the man who is grounded. Verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let me just say this. If a man is pursuing the way of the ungodly, most of the time, I'm just here to tell you, it's just true. Most of the time, the children will follow. The children will follow. You say, how do you know that? Well, it's kind of interesting. They did some statistics years ago. And they said, they basically started looking at the family dynamic as it relates to the local church. And one thing that they noticed, they said, you know, if the wife goes to church and brings the children, seeks to, to raise the children with a spiritual context to their life, that as the child gets older, listen, less than 30% of those children will follow what their mother led them to do. Now, the father being involved, not the mother, just the father. Over 60% will follow the way of the Lord. Guess what? If both are involved, and both, listen, sometimes it's as much as 80%, depending on the statistic that you read. Do fathers have a role? They have a major role in the, in the upbringing of their children. But listen, they need to be grounded. Listen, as men, we need to be the steady spiritual leader in our homes. Become a man of God's word with conviction. Become a servant of God's church with commitment. The spiritual leader of the home models the Christian faith before his wife and kids. It does not mean he's perfect. You're not looking at a perfect man teaching you here this morning. There's a lady over here that can tell you very clearly this is not perfection talking to you. But listen, this is the path that God has for us. This is where we need to be striving for. Listen, when there are problems in the home, he does not overlook or ignore them, but focuses on the problem and brings solutions and maybe even correction from God's word. Nothing is more important, listen, than the spiritual development of a man's home. Nothing is more important. Matter of fact, let me tell you how important it is. 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at the verse here on the screen. There's a whole list of things when it talks about the qualifications of a deacon. And when you look at a deacon, of course, a deacon is someone who comes, who, who, who's risen up among the church and becomes a, a lay leader in the church. Listen to what it says in one particular place when it talks about those men. He said, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, and here it is, ruling their children and their own households well. Now, some people would look at this verse and say, you know something? He's disqualified. He, he shouldn't even be a deacon. We need to get rid of him. I mean, great day. He's not even fulfilling the simplest of the matter. And listen, let me just tell you this. It's not a matter of disqualifying a man. 
What this is saying is how important it is that he be what he needs to be to his own family. You know what this verse is saying? That man, listen, his first ministry is not the church. His first ministry is that family. And then if things are in proper working order, then he can lend some time to the church. But it's not saying, how oh, you're disqualified. No, it's saying you need to be put, rearrange your priorities. You need to be looking at the interest of the home before you begin to look at the interest of the church. It's not a matter of disqualifying a man. It's more of a matter of God saying, here's your priority. Now, we move on. I wish my husband knew that I needed him to be a good father. The Bible says in two places, Paul writes both of them, Ephesians chapter 6, he says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't get to a point where your children are not receiving from you. That's what that verse says. Don't drive them to a point where they're so bitter towards you, they couldn't receive any instruction that you would have for them. But look at what he says. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up how? In the training and admonition of the Lord. And by the way, with that training and admonition does come discipline. Next, Colossians chapter 3 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. As much as we get on our kids, and by the way, they probably need it, we need to also encourage our kids. And point them and encourage them in the ways of the Lord. But how do you do that? First of all, just like your wife, you got to understand your children. you got to understand what motivates them. And, and by the way, the wife is, is watching this interaction. You know, it's amazing. And you may say, well, that's the fault of your own wife. No, no it's not. It just seems to be the way uh, families are designed. Did you know when, when our kids were younger... My, poor, my wife could say things over and over again, and I can walk in the house and say, hey, this is the way we're going to do this. And that's what would happen. You say, boy, preacher, you put the fear of God in them, didn't you? No. God established a man to have some male authority in that child's life. And it's not that my wife couldn't handle it. Man, she, she could get the best of me, if you want to be honest about it. But, but the fact is, there's something about a man and his presence in the home and, and what that represents. And by the way, the world doesn't like the message I'm talking about right now. It would call it sexist. There are all kinds of words they'd use for this. But I'm not going to back down from it because it's right here in God's Word. Let me tell you what a man, I believe, is supposed to do in the life of his children. I think he needs to be calling out what the culture accepts and what God's word does not accept. You know what? There was a movement of men many years ago, actually it wasn't that long ago, called the Watchmen. Do you remember that? Some of you may have been a part of that. I thought it was the great approach. Here's what I believe men should be in their homes. They need to be Watchmen especially for the sake of their children. They need to be out there just looking in the culture and seeing what the culture is offering and seeing the movement of the culture and say, hey, this does not line up with God's word. Child, son, daughter, let me just tell you, here's the difference, showing them the difference, sounding the warning call. But men, you know what we do? We feel like we're successful as men if we can just get them to practice on time. If we can tell them to hang out and just suffer through that year and we'll, we'll see what happens next year with the, the soccer or the football or the basketball or whatever you want to name. 
and I'm not knocking all that. I love sports, but it, it has its place. And it should never supersede what a man is to his family. If it means the family's too busy, they just need to shut some things down and say, hey, this is a priority in our life. Our wives need to know that we are committed to the children and to the family. They're not just, we're not just brushing that off on, on her. Next, I wish my husband knew that I need him to provide security for me and my family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, but it says this. Look on the verse. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's just simplistic. That's just common sense. You provide, listen, for those that you make a covenant with. That's your wife. And you provide for those that you brought into this world. That's your responsibility. Women want and need security. With all the pressures on the wife and mother in this day and age, she needs to operate on a secure foundation. One of those foundations may be financial. Financial. And and here's what we need to say about that. Long hours at work does not mean that more love is given by the man. Men often would say, "How, how, how how can my wife say I don't care about our family? I work 70 hours a week. You ever heard that before? Yeah. The question we as husbands need to ask is, am I providing the right security that my wife needs? While financial security is important, it's not the most important security in her life. Look here, the greater security is emotional. It's that emotional support. It's the idea of of, of, of a connection that's made with you. What matters most is that our wives feel emotionally connected to us, knowing that no matter what we are, no no matter what, that we're here for them, that they need to know that everything is not a threat to our marriage or to their marriage. Let me say this. Living in the same house and even being intimate does not necessarily mean that your wife feels close to you. So how can we as men display this emotional security I think one way we can do it is just make her a priority. We don't just go out there and say, yeah, and I've heard many people say, yeah, God's first in my life and in my family, namely my wife. And I mean, we can say a bunch of words. But have you ever asked your wife, do you feel like you're a high priority in my life? I think many of us would be amazed at what is being, how she thinks. Make her feel that you're committed to her. Be active in the home. Draw in close to her, which leads us to the next point. Look on your outline. I wish my husband knew that I need him to cherish me. I just want him to cherish me. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5 very quickly. We're going to turn there. The whole idea of being cherished is really uh, an idea that we see in Scripture very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5. And you know what's in Ephesians chapter 5? It's comparing the relationship between a husband and wife, listen, to Christ and his church. It's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture of just being cherished. And, and so look at the first thing on your outline. Love is expressive. You ever heard someone say love is a verb? It's expressive. That's the verb talk. 
How do you demonstrate your love for your wife? She needs you to be affirming, appreciative, affectionate, honest, and open with her in conversation. In Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, how? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Jesus, how did Christ give himself to the church, his bride? How? He died. He put himself in a position where he knew the greatest way to fulfill her greatest need was to die. Would you say that's a pretty deep kind of love? That's a very expressive love, I'm telling you that. It says, why? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You see, the husband is there is to help meet some of the deepest needs of his wife. Now, men, let me tell you this, if you haven't figured it out yet. Your deepest needs are not necessarily her deepest needs. You understand that, right? We're different. We live in a culture that says, no, we don't want to hear that the sexes are different. We don't even want, we, we don't want you to get to a point where we even are a sex. Have you ever heard anything so stupid in your life? I mean, it just blows my mind, the ignorance and stupidity that I hear out there in the culture today. And you may be sitting here saying, well, you know, it's just the way they feel. No, let me tell you, they are far from God. The greatest rebellion, I think, that within a human heart is one that denies what they were created to be. I, didn't know, I don't think that's pretty popular. Might not be popular for you. But I'm here to tell you there's differences between men and women. And they're, they're not just Physical. There's difference, and God made it that way. Next, love is essential. In any relationship, care for the other person. Just, not just any kind of love, but unconditional love. Look at verse 28 of Ephesians 5. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You mean to tell me the possibility of getting my needs met, the possibility of this thing working out, it's for me to love her as I love myself. You ever met a man that didn't love himself? Some of you ladies, y'all the ones laughing. We well, even me, we're sitting there. A man loves for you to talk about him. I remember, you know, when sometimes a team would talk about me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff there. You just keep talking. We love to hear, we love this people talk about us. Not the bad kind. She's done that too, but anyway, <laughs> I deserved it. Verse 21, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Love's essential. Next, love is enduring. Here's a question. Does your wife know that she can count on you? That you will always be a one-woman man? As far as you're concerned, divorce will never be an option for y'all. Tina and I came from broken homes. Homes that were 
broken probably at the worst time of our lives, being young pre-adolescent children, and it's a very tough time. And I think one of the biggest motivations, apart from God's grace in our life and the way he moved in our lives, in our marriage, was the fact that we came from that, and we never wanted our own children to face what we had to face. And it caused us to dig in and dig a little deeper. And and, and I'm just here to tell you that that it's it's just tough. But listen to Ephesians 5.30. It says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You know, some of you are sitting here thinking, I thought that was said in Genesis. It was. Here's, Here's Paul repeating it. He's saying this is important. This is a covenant we're talking about here. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so, so love, cherish his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Some deep stuff going on here. Next, I wish my husband knew that I need him to pursue me. Just like when we dated Men, you remember when you pursued your wife? I remember when I was pursuing Tina. We were in high school, and um, I didn't like the lunchroom food. Did y'all get into the lunchroom food in school? I, I didn't get into that too much. So we'd go across the street to the Hardee's. And so we'd go, and there would be times where I, I tried to pick up the bill, whatever. We were just dating, and I didn't notice till several decades later that when we would go, that um, we'd only get one thing of fries and that I pretty much ate all the fries. I, I just, I didn't notice that she wanted any, you know. And um, I just, uh, I tore into them things. And I didn't know Thomas 20 years later, that bothered her. That was a little check in her spirit about, do I want to be with this man for the rest of my life? He eats all the fries. I mean, what, what, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> That, that wasn't exactly the pursuing thing, but I thought, it well, we're going to go get something to eat. We're going to spend some time together. I'm eating all your fries. <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Here's what it says. Now, you got to understand Song of Solomon is about a man pursuing a woman. Listen to this. Make haste and come to me, my beloved, and be like a gazelle. When y'all get home today, y'all go out in the yard. (laughs) Say, honey, you go on. I'm going to catch you. And I want you hopping along like you're some kind of gazelle. That that would be fun. If you do do that, call me. I'll come watch, okay? (laughs) Here's one. Pursue me when we fight. You ever been in one of them knockdown dragouts? I'm not talking about physical knockdown dragouts. I'm talking about with words, and and uh, your wife just kind of runs off. What do you do? I don't know about you, but I never knew what to do. It was like, guess she's sick of talking about this. Just kind of sit in there. Well, she don't want to talk about it. I sure ain't going to talk about it. Matter of fact, I'm kind of mad at her right now. I don't want to talk to her. You know what she told me years later? I wanted you to just come in here and just hug me and hold me. Hold you? 
I wasn't sure I was going to live through this. <laughs> Women like to be pursued. They do. And for whatever reason, my wife's taught me well. Look at Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be bitter towards them. When she would go, I'd get bitter. Can you relate to what I'm talking about? I'm going to talk to you anyway. You need to realize that she needs you to come after her. I never knew. I mean, even now that I know it, sometimes I don't do it, to be honest with you. But I should do that. But that's what we're to do. Pursue me when we love. Women want to be pursued romantically. The reason is because when you are both in the bedroom, it is difficult for your wife to figure out whether you really want her or you just want to satisfy your own needs. For women, being intimate begins in her heart. For her, it's not an act. It's an emotional attachment. Both husbands and wives want to be desired by their partners, but they want to be desired in different ways. And most of the time, we as men, we think, well, that's what we would want in that situation. Surely that's what she's going for. No, you're wrong. There's a little something different there. Song of Solomon, he's pursuing her. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, look at these verses. He's pursuing her. He's calling her out. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have doves' eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats (laughs) going down from Mount Gilead. Your your teeth are are, are like a flock of shorn sheep uh, which have come up from the washing. Every one of them which bears twins and none is bearing among them. I mean, everything's just all together. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Excuse me. Here's my favorite. Your neck is like the Tower of David built for an armory. Can I show you a picture of what they described? there's my baby (laughs) not mine I'm talking about (laughs) I'm talking about what he's calling her if you really want to get into it go read the whole book you'll be blown away by what it says in there Next, I wish my husband knew that I need him to understand me. And really, this is what it's all about. First Peter chapter 3, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, when it says weaker vessel, it's not talking about she's not as intelligent as you are. It doesn't mean anything like that. It does mean there's a physical difference between the two. Now, let me give you a caveat to that. I've met women who could beat me pretty severely. So I'm not saying that's all the way across the board, okay? But what he's talking about here is our care for our wives, the protection and the security we can bring. And as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. When my relationship is not right with my wife, something is affected spiritually in my own life. I'm just not right. There's just something that's amiss. The word to understand in this verse literally has a lot of meanings. I was going to use a big word, but I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. But anyway, It it means to know, to perceive, to learn, to recognize. It even means to acknowledge. 
Our wives need this. They desire this. In, in, in the context of understanding your wife, I'm going to give you one way that's easy to understand. This is just one. I'm picking one out, okay? Here it is. Be a good listener, not a fixer. And this is one way that men miss it all the time. Learning to listen in the way women need is a huge miss, is, is huge in missing an action skill for most, most men. They don't know how to listen to their wives. When it comes to listening to your wives, never tell her by any means that she's overreacting. Anybody ever made that mistake? Never question her version of the facts. Wonder, listen, wonder aloud about the time <laughs> that's going on in her and what kind of things she's dealing with. 95% of women feel a reasonable solution would not solve their problem, which leads us to the central issue. Look on your outline. Focus on my feelings, not the problem. That's what she's asking you to do. Men need to practice filtering out the problem so that they can concentrate on how she's feeling about something. Now listen, when we as men, when we have a problem, we start talking about a problem, you know what we're looking for? Solutions. Most of the time, men, when men finally say and admit they got an issue, they're looking for solutions if, it took, if, if they're saying it. Women don't do that. They're coming at it from a different measure. Now, at times they may, but most of the time, no, I want to connect with you over this issue that I'm dealing with. Men need to start filtering out the problem so they can focus on how she feels. Affirming her feelings, saying, uh, it's okay that you felt disappointed. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Not necessarily saying, just tell me who it is and I'll take care of them. It's very important that your wife feels she's understood. Next, I wish my husband knew that I need him to encourage me. It's the whole idea of reassurance. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the love chapter, you'll see that that whole section of, of the love, at the very end it says, love never fails. It literally means it never gives up. Never gives up. How Listen, have you often wondered why your wife asked you, do you love me? You ever had that one? It's not that, it's not that she's trying to nag you with it or whatever. You know what she's looking for? She's looking for reassurance that this is enduring, that this is important to you. She's looking for the security. Just because we as men think our wives should feel secure about our love for them does not mean that she always does. Listen, our, our society has aided in creating competition between women and insecurity in women. You do know that, right? It's everywhere. In the face of insecurity, assure, reassure her, compliment her on being a good mother, a good wife, how she looks. Next, you need to encourage her by inspiration. Proverbs 31, why don't you look at verse 28. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Marriages go through seasons of struggle. I think we all know that. But here's what we need to understand. My wife said over the 30, almost 37 years of marriage we've been in, she said one thing that I do that 
I knew I would, do, I would do it, but I didn't know how much it meant to her, is I always tried to offer her hope in some of our most desperate times in our marriage. It seemed like I was always looking for the hope. I was looking for something out there in the future. And, and, and to be honest with you, it was that idea of just bringing us together and letting us dream together. I think it's important for couples to learn how to dream together. I think it's important for husbands to, 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 to be that night in, 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 I started to say, that night in fine linen, but that night, <laughs> I can't think of the phrase anyway. Be a here. You only hear women saying this. Night in shining armor. You see, it's that whole idea that, that we need to be their hero. We need to offer hope. We need to be strong. So here's the application. The key to having your needs met is to attempt to meet the needs of your spouse. I want to close with this. We're not going to have an invitation. I just, I've given you all this information, and men, I hope it's been helpful. But listen to this. Before this sermon will help, you need to ask her, is there anything between us right now? Because before you start implementing a sermon like this, you need to get her to a place where she can receive what you're about to do. And if there's something between you and her, now I'll, I'll tell you this, doing some of these things will go a long ways in helping that. But for her to totally receive what you want to bring to the table in your marriage, some of the things I brought out straight out of Scripture, y'all going to have to sit down and talk about maybe issues of unforgiveness. Something that may have happened years ago that created the disconnect that really hasn't been right since. And y'all need to talk about that. Because y'all, before, that has to be dealt with before we can move on. Because you want her to receive what you have. And then here's another thing. I dare you to ask this question. Husbands, ask your wives. Are you lonely in this marriage? That's, that's pretty deep right there. Are you lonely? You'd be amazed at how many women who are in a marriage... They're as lonely as the loneliest person out there. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to sit right there. Father, we just come before you now. and Lord, I pray for everybody in this room. And I know we're not all at the same season. And some of us are not in a marriage. And I understand that, Father. And I, for those who are not in a marriage, Lord, I, I pray for those that, that have children, that have loved ones that are, that maybe now they have something to pray specific about in their marriages for those that they love. And Father, I pray that they don't just ignore this information, but try to find ways to, to help those that they care about. Maybe it's inviting them to listen to a sermon like this or whatever it may be, but Father, help them to understand all your word will, is, is, is worthy of our attention. And Father, I pray for those that are in a marriage. And, and I look around this room. I know a lot of the marriages in this room. And I know the condition of what appears to be the condition of many of these marriages. But Father, I pray if there's something amiss in the marriage, Father, that a sermon like this has created enough for them to sit down and have an honest conversation about mar their marriage. And Father, for that wife who feels so lonely, 
I pray, Lord, that she'll be able, if it's hurt that created that, that she'll be able to reach beyond that hurt to the man that she made a covenant with to marry and to say, yeah, this is where it is. And for that man to be tender and gentle and understanding and not be defensive and just say, you know something, I want so much more for us. I pray you'll give them that heart, Father. We thank you so much for what you're capable of doing in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers if they'd come.